Allen. Oh my gosh. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast. I am so excited to do this. We've been doing our live episodes. This is our third one this season, and it's just such a blast to be able to go live and interact with people and all of our fans and different dancers from around the world. If you've listened to our podcast, you know we have some sponsors. And our next sponsor that I'm excited to announce is actually hosting a giveaway for this episode, and that is Apollo Shocks. If you haven't tried Apollo Shocks yet, then you are 100% missing out. I can definitely vouch for that because I have a pair and they have totally changed how I dance in the studio and on stage. I really couldn't believe how much better my body felt after wearing my Apollo Shocks. Apollo Shocks are compression dance socks that come in a variety of styles and colors, and they are meant for all styles of dance. They even offer socks that come with traction on the ball of the foot, so you can make sure that while you're dancing on Marley, you're never slipping, which is so wonderful. Apollo Performance is hosting a giveaway for this episode, and one lucky winner will receive a pair of Apollo Shocks. Our giveaway ran for the past week on our Instagram page. So if you missed out on participating, don't worry. We have lots of giveaways coming soon, even more. So in the meantime, while you wait to find out who's the lucky winner, go check out some of their shocks on their website now at apolloperformance.com. Thank you to all of our season sponsors that support us at Mina Impact. We love you all. Okay, y'all. It's finally time for me to welcome our guest. I'm so excited because this guest is a very close friend of mine. He's also a fantastic judge and educator. He's been on the roster with Impact Dance Adjudicators now for the past four seasons. And I'm so excited to welcome Mr. Sam Quinn to the podcast. Welcome, Sam. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. Of course. And I know that You've been on the pod before, but you actually were on a Q&A episode last year on the podcast as well. Oh my gosh, it's already been a year. Yes, that, that feels it's, like... Yeah. Oh my gosh, crazy. Yes, I, I forget. I forget yeah. what... When was it? Was it February? Was April? I think, yeah, I think it was like yeah. February, April-ish. Oh my gosh. I think Whoa. it was definitely during like the pandemic, like during quarantining in the pandemic, like after I, a pandemic happened. So probably like March or April. Oh my gosh, time flies. Like this whole year has just seemed like such a blur. <laughs> Seriously. It's like, we, we don't know what month it is, what day it is. It's all just like blending together because I feel like I do a lot of the same every single day. <laughs> I'm like, what sweatpants do I wear today? Do I wear my black or my gray? Which ones do I wear? <laughs> it's so true. Well, Sam, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining me for the live Q&A episode. So excited to have you. Of course. Um, Can't wait. And... Do you mind telling all of our viewers, we have about 31 viewers right now, would you mind sharing a little bit about you and who you are, where you live, where you're based, any career credits and what you're up to? Yeah, so I'm currently living in New York City. I grew up dancing in Massachusetts at Charlotte Klein Dance Center. And I got my BFA in dance from the University of Arizona in Tucson. And from there, Went to Chicago, danced with the Contemporary Ballet Company, did the Radio City Christmas Spectacular. But one of my most favorite career moments, if you will, was Go Rockettes. <laughs> Yay. Was being the organizer and kind of spearheading the viral Boys Dance 2 event in Times Square back in 2019 of August. So that was kind of something that really fueled my love for the dance community and kind of being a spokesperson for them. So yeah, I think, yeah, that's about it. Yay. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that you were able to help organize the boys dance to movement and i will never forget stuck so on the hard. subway <laughs> oh don't get me started i'm so bummed i was personally stuck on the subway that morning i mean what time did it start was that like 7 a.m i mean that whole weekend i didn't sleep yeah it, we i got there at like six i think it started at seven that's when they started the newscast and um <laughs> i think class started at like seven 15, 7 30, 8 o'clock. But I remember you texting me like, Oh my God, I'm stuck on the subway. I can't come. And I was like, Oh, rats. It was such a great morning of just inspiration and support and love. And having Travis Wall and Robbie and Alex involved was it just made it that much more special. So it was a crazy time. Yeah. Yeah. And it was awesome. I watched from, you know, after the train, epic fail on the train, I went back home and then I turned on the news and then I watched it from my 
and all of the streams on Instagram and things. I was just, I felt like I was there, but I wasn't you were there. there and I wanted to be dancing. Oh, I know. Well, you're amazing for, for starting that. And it really was such a beautiful moment when that happened. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited. And I'm so um, excited to be here. Yeah. So I like to actually start with a question that hasn't been asked yet in the comments and we will get to all of those. But I'd like to answer a question that was sent in anonymously from a dance teacher in Massachusetts ahead of time. Go and Mass, home I state. Just want to answer this. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, perfect. That's so great. We're kicking it off with your home state question. Yeah. I just wanted to answer this, get this one out of the way because this is in regards to block scheduling and competing the season. And I have a strong feeling that a lot of people have this type of question. So let's get this one answered. So the first question from our anonymous dance teacher in Massachusetts is, how will the judges deal with some studios socially distancing and some not? Will our studio be penalized for not incorporating partner work and lifts? And how will the judges be fair considering these circumstances? Such there a good go. question. Such a good question. <laughs> yes. You know, I feel like we're in a, pan- a pandemic here, you know, because if you don't do partnering versus doing partnering safely with, you know, however you want to do it, I'm judging what I'm seeing at face value. And there's there's no points off if you're socially distanced. If you are, I love you for that. If you're safely executing partnering and your choreography hasn't changed from maybe a season before, but you're safe about it, great. And as long as you're being safe, as long as everyone in this space is being safe, I'm judging everything I'm seeing for face value. So because you don't have nine partnering lifts or your formations are all spread out, there's absolutely no points being taken off. And I think... People are so worried about that, obviously, because this question came in. But there's, in my eyes, and from my opinion, 100% no, there is 0% points off because you're doing the best you can in a global pandemic. And I really hope that all judges are kind of going into this season with this mindset. And I, and I truly think that most are. There have been a lot of questions like this. There have been a lot of questions in the group, on the forums, on Facebook, whether it's our personal forum or the dance teacher networks and things like that. Everyone's nervous about how things are going to be judged this year. And Mm -hmm. I think that we have to go back and remember that we should be so grateful and lucky to even have any type of competition season at all this year. I know. We just want the dancers back on stage. And I know that you feel the same, Sam, and so do I. I just want to go back to work. Hello. Give me a job back, please. Traveling. (laughs) I mean, that, that was one of the best parts of it, seeing dancers from all across the country. But I think it's also right. just feeling that energy again on stage. Like, obviously, I absolutely love judging virtually, especially for IDA. But there's nothing that compares to that in-person energy and just feeling, you know, these dancers like killing themselves on stage. So it's been so inspiring over these past, what, year? Almost a year, seriously. Can't believe we're saying that. Watching these dancers yeah. virtually and judging virtually and just seeing the amount of love that they have, that they're willing to make it work. I've judged dancers in the grass. I've judged dancers. Yep on pavement and parking lots and then in studio alone, the lengths that people will go to, you know, just fuel their soul with with the love of dance, I think is great. But again, nothing like that in-person energy. So taking the appropriate steps for sure is the utmost important thing. However, if you're, like I said, if you're, if you're doing the smart thing and you're socially distanced, I love you for it. And I'll probably give you a special. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And I think the same, I think that we will notice if you are, socially distancing. And we aren't going to penalize you for that. We're going to reward you for that. I Mm -hmm. think that a lot of judges want to see that more so than the partnering. I'm nervous when I see dancers without masks on on stage, partnering and touching and and everything because we're not living in that world right now. And there's also like no rule book. Right. And there's no rule book for how you're supposed to dance during a pandemic. Like (laughs) you can't be like, hmm, Chapter four, how do I do a a group dance without a mask? (laughs) And I see in the comments, my cousin Suzanne out there saying it's going to take some conscious thought to completely divorce yourself from the feelings about everything COVID. And that's exactly it. Like, it's going to take time to adjust. We're only a year into this. And again, I can't believe it's a year, but it's going to take some adjusting. And, you know, and just on the hindsight and flip side of that, if you aren't if you're wearing a mask and you're still doing partnering, as long as you're safe, you're you know hopefully quarantined with your studio and your block time. You're also not going to be penalized in my eyes because right. how can you how can you take points off from these kids that were are doing what they were given and you know 
my advice to teachers would be to try to be as safe and, you know, use your best judgment and put the safety of your dancers at the forefront of your brain. However, if you aren't and you are doing pieces from last year and everyone's masked and appropriately, you know, taking the precautions, again, no points off. So yeah, totally agree. And I think that's the perfect answer to this question. So thank you, Sam, for answering it so flawlessly. And yeah. thank you to our anonymous dance teacher in Massachusetts. Person Go Mass. <laughs> Go Mass. All right. So we have some questions coming in on the comments. And I'd like to go with Casey's comment next, which I'm going to pop up onto the screen. It's a long one, but it kind of goes hand in hand with more... <gasps> Oh, Casey. Hey, girl. But hey, Casey, go show my girl. Uh, Her question is, contact improv is such an incredible skill for dancers to learn and utilize in their dance career. However, do we think this skill should be taught in open classes right now due to COVID? Side note, love the IDA podcast. Thanks so much for doing this for our community. Oh, thanks, Casey. We love you back. What a great question. This is a good one. Yeah, yeah, this is good. And again, I think it kind of goes back to the first question of using your best judgment. If you're in your studio, or, you know, at a convention, and you're contact improving with someone from your studio, as long as you're safe about it, I feel like that it's okay. However, on the opposite side of that, I do think there could be other improv techniques that could be used. Like if you're doing contact improv, you know, playing around with the negative space as much as possible introducing that idea of how you can maneuver around someone without physically touching them, you know, make it like the the COVID improv technique, whatever. <laughs> but also there's so many other improv techniques. Like I remember in college, we used to uh, the foresight, like using the visualization of the dots and like playing around with your dots, kind of like you're in a matrix box. So there's so many other moments for improv that don't necessarily need contact. However, given this is very situational, but if you're in your studio and you're practicing contact improv with the partner that you always dance with, as long as you're safe about it and taking the necessary precautions to be safe, sanitizing, all that good stuff, I think it's fine. Just as long as you're you're safe about it and you know, you're not like finding Sally on the street, you're like, hey, you let's contact improv right now, five, six, seven, eight, go. <laughs> but if you're taking the like the necessary precautions, I think it's I think it's fine. Use your judgment. We're all smart here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I sort of agree in the same. I, I know how important contact improv is to learn. I don't know how many studios actually do, do contact it. improv. I didn't learn it until, we, like until college. So I didn't ever right? know what it was until I did. Improv was always like my biggest fear, <laughs> no matter what. Mm-hmm. And like, if I was supposed to improv before a combo, I was like step touching in the back corner. And then it's like, okay, now, now I'll dance. But you know, I think it's an right. interesting topic that, you know, people don't use improv technique really at all until you're in the professional exactly. world. You're like, got to figure this out. Yeah. And this is actually similar to a discussion that we had. We actually just launched in an improv episode. So to all of our viewers and listeners, if you haven't listened to that, go check it out. It's episode 46, all about improv. And we talked about contact improv during that and just improv in general and how we don't see it really being utilize much in studio settings but you know either way when it comes to like specifically contact improv i one i don't know how often studios are actually doing contact improv pre-pandemic because Mm -hmm. i know my studio did but we also had like a solid modern background at my studio so we kind of we we did learn that at a point in time but if dancers are doing improv it may not be contact but if they are doing contact improv yay for you i applaud you for doing it i don't know if this is the year to continue to do it. And I think we could probably just like take a year hiatus from our contact improv and wait till next season to continue to incorporate it into our training. Mm-hmm. Just because just to be safe, you know, I don't, I don't know. I even think it's kind of like iffy when we go to conventions, which are happening somehow successfully, they are happening, everyone, which is <laughs> crazy for that. I but, know, you know, dancers are in their little squares. And even if the choreography takes you to the floor, you kind of like, I'm kind of a little bit like, huh, is that really what we should be doing right now? You know what I mean? I mean, like, pre-COVID convention floors were still a no-go. <laughs> so like, you don't know who's like still growing. And like so many things you don't think about, like, why would you roll and like put your face on, you know, the Hilton's floor? That's weird. And like right. now COVID is like, maybe don't. And you're like, okay, thanks COVID. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I try to not let my my choreography go to the floor as often as I love a floor work moment. So 
So I would say in this situation, I would probably like stray away from contact improv at the moment and maybe just save it for next dance season because it is an important skill to know how to do. I just don't know if we should all be like touching all- each other, especially if we're not in masks. Like, correct, like you said, correct. Sam, if we're sanitizing, if we have masks on, if we are re- in our bubble of people, like, but I also love what you said about there are other ways to do different improv drills and, you know, scenarios without physically touching in, in a correct improv situation. So yeah, great question. Thank you so much, Casey, for asking thanks, that Case. one. And yeah, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for asking. I love a question. So we have some more coming. And this one's actually yeah. coming from Lottie in Canada. This is a costume question for the adjudicators. My dancer is a curvy teen and dealing with the new challenges this brings. She is seriously considering going back to wearing tights on stage. In our area, wearing tights seems to come across as not being current and not being competitive. I do believe that as we started seeing less tights in the competitive stage, we started seeing more pants as a costume choice. And in my mind, for obvious reasons, what are the adjudicators' first thoughts? And then it looks like there might have been more to that question, but I can't see the rest of it. So I think we've got the gist of mm-hmm. it. Yeah, so it's a it's a tights or no tights question. We all we always love this one. It's a staple question of the dance community. So yep. my opinion, I always want a dancer to be as comfortable as ever. If you feel comfortable wearing tights, we love a tight. If you don't, great. It's all about what you what you personally feel most comfortable in. And if if that means wearing tights, that's great. Tights also create a clean leg line. Helps blend with the shoes, streamlines your leg. So I always prefer a tight over no tight. And I just think it's more professional. So I yeah. I think whatever you're comfortable in, go for it. You do you. And I'm here to support it. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think that everybody has a different preference with the tight or no tights debate. And I think that, like you said, Sam, the most important thing for any dancer hitting the stage is to make sure that they feel their best and feel comfortable in what they're wearing. Again, I'm going to reference another episode because we have so many, but we actually are launching our presentation for the competitive stage episode this Thursday. So coming to you. So exciting. And we actually talked about this in in the episode. So uh, you'll you'll get even more details. But I think that the no tights question depends on the style of dance. If they are that, dancing yeah. contemporary, I want them in bare feet. So if that means you don't wear tights, that means you don't wear tights. I also think like you, like you asked Lottie, you know, we are seeing more costumes with pants to instead. If that's what we need to do as a soloist or a group to make everyone feel comfortable without having tights on for this contemporary dance, then I totally support it. I applaud every dancer, every dancer that gets on that stage with no tights and a leotard. I mean, yep. oh my gosh, how do they do it? There, I remember even like growing up, <laughs> right? Like growing up, there was no, everyone wore tights. And like the big thing was when like we started competing modern dance in competition yeah, and we got mm-hmm. like the girl, the other dancers got like the capri tights, which cut off at the calf. Like that was a big thing. But if you're, even if you're doing barefoot, you know, there's so many options to still wear tights if you feel comfortable, like with the stirrups, the stirrup tights, whatever, that still creates that nice long leg line. But we love pants too. So <laughs> whatever you're comfortable in. Oh, okay. Lottie wanted to know what brand of tights give the most sheer natural look. I mean, I'm not sure because I honestly, this isn't a good question for me because I don't wear tights. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I'm a non-tight wearer, but I don't wear leotards. With no Maybe time. our viewers so, can chime in in the comments on this one. Help us out. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Help us out. If anyone has any great natural looking tight options for the stage that makes dancers feel covered, but also matches their leg line. And you know, that's the other that's the other tricky part. One of the reasons why I like seeing no tights on stage is because I love seeing a dancer's natural skin tone. And then if they aren't wearing shoes, it's just a seamless line in, in, into the bare feet. If you are going over tights, you have to make sure that your shoes are the exact same color as your tights. And also hopefully the same color as your skin, please. So everybody, you know, feels their best and looks their best stage. When it comes to like jazz, I want to see if it's a classic jazz routine, you better have tights on and you better and like even a fishnet, I'll take a fishnet. But Mm -hmm. if it's more of a contemporary jazz or, you know, a different style jazz, you could do legging without a tight if you want or, you know, there's there's definitely options. But I think that the best 
kind of the best advice that we both said for you, Lottie, is just to make sure that the dancer feels their best on stage. And and if you're competing means- ballet, tights, always tights. Oh my gosh, please. <laughs> I've oh seen it. Oh my gosh, please. <laughs> Booty shorts and a tutu. I was like, oh, maybe, maybe tights with this one. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's great advice. So yeah, I hope that every dancer, you know, can come onto the stage feeling their best and looking their best. And if we are going to go the no tights route, we have to make sure that we're really secured everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. To make sure that, you know, every, everything stays put. But yep. I don't think that tights are old school. Tights aren't going anywhere. You know, no. like they're they're on Broadway. They're on Radio City. Yes. They're everywhere. Yes, they it's not broken. Are, don't fix so. it. <laughs> <laughs> the truth, the truth. So hopefully that helps Lottie. And definitely check out our presentation episode where we're not really talking about costumes as much in that, but more in the sense of presenting yourself properly for the competitive stage, and that launches this Thursday. So stay tuned for that. So we have another one. Boom. It's a big one. And it says, hi, Courtney and Sam. We miss seeing you at competitions. Aw, I'm a mom of two dancers. Daughter is 15 and my son is 10. With summer intensive auditions being canceled because of COVID, schools are offering the choice of a Zoom audition or sending in a video. Which would you recommend? There seem to be plus plus or minus to both. That's a great question. So we're really good. It's either Zoom audition or video audition is what our choices are. So what would you recommend, Sam? Because I'm a perfectionist, 1 million percent video. You have the option to re-record, fix any mistakes that you have, especially with people who have been transitioning to like musical theater and applying to those schools. You know, you want to put your best foot forward, of course. So if you're doing a singing portion of it, you can sing it 9 million times. You got to get that defined gravity riff perfect. You can perfect it. But on Zoom, you get that one chance. So it's kind of like this, mm-hmm. do you want to do it in person so they can really feel your energy? Or do you want to have like a perfect video package to send off? I personally, knowing myself, would do the video package just because you have that control factor. You can, you know, gosh forbid that there's any internet connection and Zoom freezes and they right. miss your triple pirouette or whatever. Right. You have the control over it. And I'm a control freak. So I would 100% for myself, vote for the video, just have complete control and show yourself off in the best way possible knowing what your best skill sets are. Yeah, I I 100% agree. However, I feel like that the interesting part to this question is the fact that these intensives are giving you an option to choose. I think mm-hmm. it should the those intensives need to pick one or the other, because it's an extreme, it's ex- two extremely different scenarios. And in a way, I kind of compare it sort of to like our professional auditions where we have to a lot of us right now, because physical auditions aren't happening in person, same scenario, we're recording self tapes. That's pretty much what we're doing. But I have personally done a zoom audition. And with the zoom audition, it wasn't a would you rather do a self tape? Or would you rather go on zoom? It was just the audition is on zoom, everybody show up. And it was a hot mess, I have to say. But it was a huge learning experience for me. I thought it's absolutely possible. I thought it was interesting to have that connection. And even though internet glitches and things or whatever, at the end of the audition, we ended up having to record ourselves and submit a video anyway. So it's so like, is this a waste of time? <laughs> yeah, right. like I just kind of wasted an hour and a half doing this zoom audition, where you're going to just have me do a self tape anyway. So I just find it interesting. Maybe what the intensives are doing are saying like, here's a date for a Zoom audition. If you can't make that, you can do a video. But then like, also, if you're doing a Zoom audition, you can have up to like, what is it? Thousands of people at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So are they scrolling through in gallery view to make sure we're watching everyone? Like, again, I would would suggest the video. That way they can just focus on you. Because if it's not a one-on-one private Zoom audition, the opportunity that they may not see you as much because they simply right. didn't click their screen. Like too much room for error, in my opinion, where I'd yeah, rather just <laughs> I, I agree. Make it look all pretty I and edit it. Yeah, that's the other that's the other bonus to doing any sort of self tape or video submission is that you can you have the control, like you said, Sam, you can record it as many times as you want, which another reference to an episode. You always have an episode for for these questions, y'all. You gotta catch up. We did so a how to film your best self tape or or submit a virtual 
submission episode. And we had two guests on who have been doing lots of virtual self tapes. They gave all the recommendations about like different angles to film, how to film, what equipment you need. And I remember my co-host Leslie saying something on that as well. And her advice was, don't film it a million times. Go in and just say, I'm going to give this maximum three takes and I'm picking from those three. Because if not, then you're going to just keep recording until you think it's perfect. Drive yourself crazy. Judging. Yes. And I've been there. I know that feeling. It's horrible. Eventually, you have to just like settle on one of the takes and be like, this was the, this was the best one. Like, this is what they're getting. I had to do... Um, I had a video audition I had to submit for and it was for a TV show. And I had to record myself doing a waltz. And I was like, okay, I don't have a partner. So help. And I I was like, you know what? We're doing this one time. This is all I got. (laughs) Go. This is it. Send. Bye. (laughs) But it's crazy because you you literally will drive yourself crazy over like, maybe it's just me because I'm nuts, but having this like perfection in your mind, this world, this year, COVID. It's, World it's of been tough and we're yep. all, <laughs> yeah, we are all experiencing these, mm-hmm. these crazy submission videos. So I would just recommend if you have the choice, go for the video option of you recording it yourself. Go listen to our pod for some helpful tips. And just another quick little yeah, thing that Sam. popped into my head was if, if you're doing all these video submissions and all these auditions are going virtual. Make sure your social media is up to date and is current and has like mm, up to date videos and pictures. And because I, f- I feel like a lot of the time someone will just go to your Instagram or your Facebook and just like swipe, 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 scroll. Okay, great. I can see within four seconds they have technique. So right. maybe yeah. utilizing the social media world a little bit more. Always include that in your video package if you're comfortable with it. Because I feel like nine times out of 10, someone will, their first instinct is going to be, oh, wait, let me look them up on Instagram. So check that that's out. That's a great, that's really, really important, especially in the world that we're living in now, because your Instagram is practically like your, your digital business card. So yeah. it's really great advice, Sam. Awesome. Well, we got some more questions for y'all. Yay. And this one is a costume question. I have a question for you regarding costume scoring. What do you look for and deduct for? So just general, a general overall costuming question. And, you know, what are our thoughts on costumes at competition? Good one. Costumes. So I look for if it's appropriate for A, the age, if it's appropriate for the style and whatever character you're portraying. Other than that, I'm not going to judge your rhinestones. I'm not going to judge if it's a, you know, if it's a halter versus a strap. Like, I- I'm not giving my personal preference on what your actual costume is, but it's, does it fit you appropriately? Does it match what you're doing? Is it holding you back in any way? Is it too stiff of a fabric where you can't actually move your body in? Are you getting caught on your skirt? Things like my personal opinion on like color doesn't make a difference to me, but it's how you can move in it, how you feel in it, and if it complements your piece well in my opinion. Yeah, that's awesome advice. And I totally agree. I mean, we're not going to we're not expecting every costume to have trillion rhinestones. We love a rhinestone. (laughs) Love a rhinestone. Always love a rhinestone. Don't get me wrong. But is that a requirement for your costume score to be a 10 out of 10? Absolutely not. And I always feel like there should be some competitions that everyone wears a leotard and tights and it's solely about the dancing and has nothing to do if you have a $20 costume from the TJ Maxx outlet, whatever rack, or if you have a $700 custom costume. To me, I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) I want to see your dancing. And this I think goes hand in hand with our presentation episode that's coming. And I kind of went into this a lot. But I think that our costume score at competition isn't just costume, it's costume and presentation is what it should Mm -hmm. be looked at if, if people aren't looking at that. And you can control how you walk out on stage. If you spent $700 on this gorgeous custom costume for your solo, but you're coming out on stage without a glue and no tights, with holes in your one shoe that you're wearing, and your hair has wispies and it's flying around, then I'm going to deduct a point regardless of how many rhinestones you have. Because Correct. you didn't come out on stage prepared. And, and with what expectation we're speaking for that, Scott, that costume score to your costume and and when it comes to the costume itself, like you said, Sam, I think it just has to make sense. It just has to yep. make sense with the song, the style of the dance, the vibe, and it flatters you. You feel confident. You look your best in it. It doesn't matter how much it costs. I think it it kind of more so 
steers towards the presentation aspect when we're actually scoring costumes, I personally think. Yeah, I think that's that makes perfect sense. And a big thing for me is just appropriateness. <laughs> so, you know, seeing yeah. a six-year-old in a costume that an 18-year-old, it was designed for an 18-year-old, that's where I'm like, mm, right. other options maybe. But again, it all comes down to exactly what you just said and how it complements the dancer, not if it's coral versus blue. Right. <laughs> Hopefully that's helpful to our costume question. We do have a costume episode from season one. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's there. So you can definitely listen to that. And then our presentation episode is coming out for you. All right, y'all. You're, you're giving us so many questions today. I love it. Here's the next So one. good. Hi there. What would your advice be to a dancer who plans to pursue a career in dance after graduating high school? but is unable to attend conventions, masterclasses, and other amazing opportunities due to COVID. What beneficial things can we be doing right now while the world is kind of cold? Great question. Really good. You know, I feel like there's this like idea in everyone's head that if you're not a convention kid, that you're never going to get a job. And if you don't have those competition mm-hmm. credits, there's no hope. And that's just not true. If Because obviously COVID, again, it's a global pandemic. It's not like Ohio shut down and like you just don't have access to the competition. Like this is a worldwide pandemic that is going to, you know, be a factor into things. And as long as you're training, you're putting your best foot forward. If you don't have these connections to, you know, taking ex teachers class at a convention doesn't mean you're not going to have a successful career. It's what you do in the room. It's how you hold yourself. And if you're able to pay attention to the details and apply them quickly in an audition setting. And it's as simple as that. It's just audition technique, not. Obviously, if, you, if you're taking all these convention classes and you're assisting these people, you're in a, you know, that's a different conversation for a different day. But if you, if you solely are just focusing on your technique, focusing on, you know, your goals and aspirations and, you know, applying to the appropriate programs and college departments that you want to go to, just because you don't have the competition convention background doesn't mean you're not going to, you know, have the opportunity to go to those places. So. I feel like it's a misconception that everyone's like, if I didn't do this, like, I'm not going to make it. And at the end of the day, like, getting first place overall in a platinum literally has zero effect on <laughs> on your career. So you do you, you're going to nail it. Yeah. And that's really, that's really great advice. I honestly, I think that the one wonderful thing about this pandemic that we that has kind of changed the dance world is the opportunity to connect with people around the globe that you would never have a chance to take class from or Mm -hmm. introduce. I know that there are so many dance educators, choreographers, teachers who are hosting virtual seminars, who are hosting virtual virtual mentoring classes and things like that. And that is usually something that could never happen, but people have really shifted gears and made a big pivot to try to figure out, well, how am I going to hustle during the time? Well, I'm going to use my my knowledge and skills to give back to the next generation and create a mentorship program or do a weekly class every week to get them more enjoying hip hop or, you know, whatever it is. So I think that that would be my best advice is like jump into these classes because I know that when I teach on Zoom and I see your names on there, I feel like I connect with you even more than if you were just a dancer in the back of my class. I actually see you in your little square with your name. I can put a name to a face. Like that mm-hmm. says a lot, I think. And also, I mean, a blessing in disguise here, but it's this year I feel like has given so much opportunity to start tackling other styles outside of your comfort zone. Like I remember when I was a competition kid and a convention kid, I would never take the tap class because I was like, I'm not a good tapper. Like I don't want to I don't want them to see that I'm a bad tapper. But like through quarantine, my boyfriend and I like took tap classes in my garage. Like we right. brought our little tap shoes over to Massachusetts and like shuffle, shuffle ball change, pretending to be Caitlin Gray. And, you know, it forces you to think outside the box. You'd be like, okay, maybe I'll try a hip hop class. You can turn your camera off on Zoom and still take the class and no one can see you. And there's so many, yeah. you know, classes at BDC that could be waitlisted. But now because it's on Zoom, you can have 9 million people and you can get into Josh Bergoss's theater class and you can take that. So I actually think exactly you're open to so many more opportunities because of COVID and you should jump into that and not just take, you know, ex contemporary class because they were on whatever TV show, but actually taking from like strong teachers who know how to teach. This is not a jab to anyone who teaches for conventions, but like the Shannon Lewis's of the theater world or like the Josh Bergasses, you know, those opportunities in person are so rare because they fill up like that. But 
now on Zoom, right. you can you can hop into an Al Blackstone class at like at any time because it's on Zoom. So challenge yourself, take those opportunities. Exactly. And that's what's going to make the difference, not being present in a convention ballroom. Totally. And I'm going to add this little bit of advice from one of our IDA judges, Max. He said, Courtney, I want to quickly add that this is a great time to look at universities. There are online open houses and potentially audition dates for programs. If you were looking ahead at college auditions, this is a great time to start to work that work so you know where to check out when things open up. College applications are booming for fall 20, I'm assuming 2021. But yeah, so that is super great advice, Max. Thank you so much so for joining in and sharing that. And yeah, start looking into into those college those colleges. They're there. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that Amazing. question. We only have time for a few more because Sam's got to go very shortly. This is an important question that I would love to share. So this says, hi, Courtney. Hi, Sam. The comment has been made to me several times that dancers with special needs need to stay with dancers with special needs because judges have certain expectations from competitive dancers and they don't really know how to judge special needs. I'm a big inclusion advocate and I am strongly against my kiddos competing in a separate category just for special needs. For me, diversity is a fact. Inclusion is an act. What are your thoughts? This is so important. And thank you to yes. the Facebook user for sharing. First of all, I'm so sorry that you have received that feedback because I am 100% with you. No, we're all human here. And there's no, and this I think also goes back to the whole kind of conversation on levels and where do, where do you place yes. things. But I, 100%. if your judge doesn't, and you said they don't really know how that's to right. specifically, that's right, how to judge special needs. I would reach out to the competition and be like, hi, hello, I have some opinions here. Because you're judging what you're seeing and you're judging people on stage. And just because someone may have a disability or a limitation doesn't mean that you have to judge them any differently. I mean, obviously, you know, if whatever the circumstances are, but you're, you're, they're all, everyone's human. Everyone's human. And the fact that someone told you to put them in a different category is just appalling to me. And I don't agree with that. Everyone deserves the same chances as everyone else. And I'm also a huge, you know, advocate for being as inclusive as possible. And I'm so sorry that that was the feedback given to you. And I fully stand by you. And I hope one day I get to judge your kids. I know. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I'm trying to just think as to is it is it necessary to have a, a special needs category? I know that there are a handful of competitions who have introduced this into their events. And I think that it really probably depends on who's entering them. And I, I think that there are a lot of dancers with special needs. There's a lot of competition teams mm-hmm. with special needs dancers, which I love so much. And I love seeing them hit the stage. And I think it's just, it probably comes down to if they want to have a, a category that's separate for them to be able to score higher. You know, like you said, Sam, it's like almost similar to the levels thing where people are upset that dancers are competing against dancers who train more. And it automatically, it ultimately comes down to we've created levels where more people can win. So, you know, if it's, if it is about inclusion, then everyone should be dancing against each other, regardless of how many hours, hours a week they dance. And regardless if they were born with special needs or a disability. I think that, you know, I'm so proud of this, of this question and for this user who says, I want to enter my dancers in with everyone else. You absolutely should and are allowed to. And if, a and if someone tells you no, that's a little right. Yeah. You sent an email yeah. because that is, that's appalling yeah. in my opinion. And I don't, I don't think that the judges, you know, if you're entering in, in a category with everyone else, the judges are going, I hope that the judges are going to give you the exact same feedback that they will give anyone else. Make sure they're working on their technique. Make sure they're working on their performance. Watch the spacing mm-hmm. here. I mean, nothing should change as far as we're judging you for your dance ability. And I think that the only reason that a competition might have created it, this, a category specific to this is so it can be judged a little bit nicer or I don't know, I mean, like a little bit more lenient with the judging and to make these dancers feel like they're competing against others that, you know, you know, I just, I don't, I don't really know if there needs to be a separate category, but I do know I that there are special there, that there are studios that spe- have special needs teams that specifically look for competitions that do have it. So that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of where 
you know, I feel like that we need to talk to more people who also have dancers with special needs to kind of get their input as to what do you prefer? What would you like better? Do you want your dancers up against everyone else like for this inclusion? Or do you want to have a separate category specifically? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to hear other people's opinions about this as well. So this actually just said that we should put a disability special needs and dancers with disabilities onto a podcast episode topic for next season and i, I was have a, just gonna say that <laughs> few people in mind that i would love to chat with about that so I that's brilliant that we do that one and yeah. I, again just i'm so sorry to that whoever asked the question i'm so sorry that that was your experience yeah i know me too i'm really sad about that and i yeah. hope that you can find competitions that that accept and love your dancers for what they are because i i have a feeling i know who this came from and I absolutely adore your dancers and love watching them. So thank you for sharing their passion for dance with the competitive dance world because anyone's able to dance. Everyone's able to dance. Everyone. We yes. Everyone. And we, we love and support you all. So thank you for that question. And Sam, it's probably time for you to go unless you want one final question thrown at you. Yeah, let's do one more. One final one. I yeah. think I have an anonymous question. Cool. So let me pull this up. This is an anonymous question, and it says, we are thinking of getting rid of one of our ballet classes or shortening them because we want our dancers more well-rounded and making hip-hop mandatory. They are all scared of hip-hop because they are bunheads, and this is not the best for them. Want We want to keep our advanced kids at the studio no more than four to five days a week, not wanting to add more time to their schedule. What do you recommend? Dropping down to two ballet classes, point and PBT with ball- with hip hop, or keeping it three ballet classes a week? They want to know: should they drop two ballet classes, go down to two ballet classes, and add a hip hop, or stay at three ballet classes a week? Is the question. This is coming from someone who loves ballet, so I would say because ballet tends to be a strong foundation for everything. I would say if you're, you know, maybe think about what age we're talking about. If we are progressing ballet technique is what it is. Great. Love it. Um, Maddie, thank you. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Judge is coming in with the help. But if, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about, you know, six year olds wanting to take hip hop, great, but they need those three ballet classes to keep building foundation. If we're talking, you know, 15, 16, hopefully they have that foundation and their technique is strong enough where they are still getting the benefits of having weekly ballet, but also supplementing with that hip hop training. But I would say anyone under, you know, 14, in my opinion, should still be building upon their foundation, working on their technique. Yes, versatility is so important. But in order to have that versatility, you need to start with the foundation. You can't just put a roof on a house that doesn't have the floorboards here. So you need to make sure that we're still, you know, building upon our technique, working on those small technical things that come from the discipline of ballet, and then being able to supplement on top of that once we get to the appropriate age. But in my opinion, I would say keep the ballet. Obviously, we can incorporate hip hop into the schedule a little bit. But I I think ballet is the most important, especially at those younger, most impressionable years. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, ballet is so important. And especially for competitive dancers, it's, it's extremely important. And I feel like it's sometimes pushed aside because we want to work on our tricks. And I think that we have to go back to basics and make sure that we are incorporating enough ballet classes into our schedule. But in this situation with a studio that's already taking three days a week ballet, I feel like that's more than the norm for competitive dance, I personally think, unless there's more that I'm unaware of. But I feel like most competitive dancers take one to two days max. But those gorgeous technical dancers that we see are probably taking three plus weeks of ballet. And it's just a matter of what how do you want your dancers to look and, and, you know, are they willing to commit to that amount of training? Now, if mm-hmm. we want to, I think it also comes down to what does your ballet class look like? And are your dance, are you a strong ballet teacher and you're providing like the top notch ballet class for all three of them? Because if you are, then maybe you can eliminate one day a week and put that into a hip hop. But it's not a, it's not about how many days a week we take ballet. It's how you take ballet class. So if the dancers yeah. are putting their a thousand percent effort into those two days a week and you are seeing their technique continue to get better while switching out and putting a hip hop class in there, then I'd say go for it. You know, I think it just really comes down to what's the ballet class look like and mm-hmm. how strong 
is the teacher? Are they, are you watching them continue to progress with, we had to take down and it could be like a test run or something, you know, you could try it out for like one of the sessions and see, is there a change Mm -hmm. in their technique since we eliminated one day? Because we had to take, when I was growing up, we had to take three hours minimum of ballet a week. So we would have two one and a half hour classes on a Monday and a Wednesday. I still remember it. We had, that was like, that was non-negotiable. And I'm so grateful for it because I feel like that is actually what made me a versatile dancer. And that is what gave, you know, the musicality, the, you know, whatever comes along with it. But that I feel, I am very grateful that I had that training growing up because A, it made me fall in love with it, but it really helped, you know, just shape your mind and, and give you the tools that would help you in hip hop and, you know, all these other genres of dance. But having that, I think is perfect what you said. What does your ballet class look like? You know, it's a great assessment on the teacher to be like, "Hmm, that's a good question. (laughs) So I think it's situational. Totally. Yeah. And if you if you think your dancers look fantastic in ballet class and their technique is shining, then maybe we can and and just inform like we're dropping this down, but that doesn't mean that you slack off in ballet class. You have to try just as hard and you have to make sure that you are giving it your a thousand percent because we are taking away a day. And I know that you're not excited about hip hop class. I'm sorry about it. But you have to get I would be like, because we need to be personal. I think, yeah. I, growing up I would be like, I don't wanna do that. <laughs> Give me the yeah. ballet bar. But it is so important. And I would, I, that was the same way with tap. Like, I'm so grateful that I was forced to take tap growing up because that has changed the way you hear music and the way you dance and it cha- helps your jazz dancing and musicality Absolutely. and all this stuff. So it can't hurt. 100%. Yep, yeah. I totally agree. Well, thank you to our um, anonymous question that just came in. And that is unfortunately our last question of the episode. Oh my gosh. Oh. Sam, thank you so much for staying like a few minutes late. And, oh my gosh. Well, uh, thanks for having me. This has been amazing advice. Yeah, I hope it was helpful. <laughs> yeah. And I I mean, thank you to every single viewer who tuned in to this episode and also everyone that chimed in with a question. We're always happy to answer them. And Sam, thank you so much. Make sure that everyone goes and follows Sam on Instagram at Sam Quinn. Give him some follows over there. Yeah. And, uh, I hope that you have a lovely rest of your snow day, Sam. And Oh, thanks. I'm going back to work. Yeah, going back to work. So this was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. And I just love everything that you do for the dance community. I think you're such an incredible influence and, you know, just a leader in the dance community. And I know so many people look to you for advice. And I don't think you're thanked enough for what you do, not only for judges, but for teachers and dancers and just the whole community. I, I don't think you get enough appreciation so on behalf of the dance world (laughs) i say thank you oh my god (laughs) (laughs) and i know i have suzanne's blessing when i say that so if suzanne if suzanne (laughs) says it then we we know it's good so i know that she's she feels the same oh thank you so much sam that means so much and i just i just love having you on board with idea and all of your support so thank you everybody say bye to sam thanks so much bye friends sam's rolling out So final few things to wrap up our episode that I'd like to share in IDA land. And the first thing is IDA's virtual competition. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it. I'm sure you've seen posts on Facebook and Instagram about our virtual competition, but we are back and we are opening up this to solos and groups this time. We have two upcoming events. Our first one is in March and our registration for that event opens up on February 15th. So it's coming soon. Registration will be open and active for an entire month. So you'll have a month to get your entries in. And at on March 15th, our registration will officially close and the event will, will then begin. Our judges will start judging and critiquing and scoring your dances. And we will send back your scores. And then I don't have all of the dates up, but you can go check out our website to check out all of the, the rest of the dates. But we'll have website announcements of the overall winners, as well as a live stream top 20 challenge our top contestants in both the solos and groups. So really exciting stuff. It's so much fun. All of if you've already competed or participated in our virtual competition, thank you so much for your support. I hope you've enjoyed it. Our judges are some of the best in the industry and we really go above and beyond with our critiques. It's 100% guaranteed that you're going to walk away with so much information to take back into the rehearsal studio. And I also think it's important to have a backup plan in case let's fingers crossed. Oh my gosh, we all want to go to a live competition event this season. And I hope that you get to But if for some reason you need an alternative or a backup plan, 
then IDA's virtual competition is a great alternative to get some amazing feedback from our judges and be considered for some sponsored prizes like Apollo Shop sponsors a lot of our events. And also our top prize winners will win cash. So yay for that. Go check out and learn more and view our upcoming dates at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash virtual competition. We hope you'll join us. And finally, before we sign off, another alter- an option for you is our online judges critiques. And if you haven't heard of them or utilized the service before, we've been doing this for the past six years and it's really awesome. An, an actual judge will critique your routine. This isn't a competition. This is if you want to get a new, a fresh set of eyes to look at your dance before you hit the stage. And if you do our additional feedback, you'll actually get between 10 to 15 minutes of extra feedback where the judge goes back from the beginning, starts and stops your dance and dives deeper with the correction. So way more than you get at a regular competition, which is what makes our IDA online critique so unique. And for our additional feedback critiques, you'll actually see your judge critiquing your dance. So you'll see them on the screen and you can get to know them a little bit more and they're not just the voice behind the video any longer. So definitely take advantage of the service if you are interested in getting some feedback before you hit the stage or during the competition season. All of our customers love it and uh, critiques start at only $35. So we make it super affordable and our judges are having a blast doing all of these online critiques. So definitely check that out on our website as well at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash online critiques. All right, y'all. Well, that wraps up our Q&A with Courtney live February edition. I hope that you enjoyed tuning in. Thank you to every single viewer on Facebook who joined us today on this snow day. This is snow day for you. This is snow day for me. And happy February, everyone. We have so many awesome things happening at IDA and I'm just so grateful. Thank you to Sam who joined us for this episode. We have some fantastic episodes coming your way on podcast season two is not over. So make sure you continue to tune in. Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Hit subscribe so you can get our weekly episodes straight to your phone every Thursday we launch. So I hope you've been enjoying the season. I hope you enjoyed this live event. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. And I'll see y'all next time. Bye, everyone.